the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Difference Makers. Welcome. My name is Mike Lee, Director of Local Ministries for True Talk 800. Now simulcast on 106.3 FM in East Portland and Vancouver. 93.9 KPDQ, AM 860, The Answer, KPAM. La Patrona, 1640, 93.1 El Rey, and 104.1 The Fish. And on this very special weekend before Christmas, what I want to let you know is if you go to any of our websites, including truetalk100.com, kpdq.com, and thefishportland.com, you're going to want to check out the Christmas Fun page sponsored by our friends at Weston Kia, where you can find out about a ton of events that you and your loved ones will enjoy this time of the year, including the Lights at Morning Star in Salem going on 6 to 9 p.m. tonight through Saturday night, December 23rd. And we're very happy to announce that we've got an opportunity for you to laugh the night off with Amy Barnes. You may remember Barnes and Minor from various events, including Date Night PDX and Family Lives Weekend to remember. So welcome, comedian Amy Barnes. How are you today? Hi, I'm doing well. How are you, Mike? Crazy busy, but I really can't complain. Really can't. And I'm very excited that you're coming back to join us. It'll be Amy Barnes' Ladies' Night Out, and it'll be happening Friday, February 2nd at Sunnyside Foursquare Church. And if you don't have that perfect Christmas present picked out yet, if you go to truetalk800.com, kpdq.com, or thefishportland.com, you can find out all the details about this show. So, Amy, do you like coming to the Pacific Northwest? Well, I actually live in the Pacific Northwest, so I, yes, that's a Seattle Seattle area, right? Correct, yes. Have you been out here for long? Yeah, you know, I grew up in Puyallup, Washington, if you're familiar with that, <laughs> or if you've been to the fair. I've been to Puyallup, you know Washington. Yeah. Uh, I was in, I'm a Husky, I went to the University of Washington, and then I was in LA for 12 years, but we moved back when our daughter was about to start school because we needed um, free babysitting, and this is where my parents were. So we made our way back, and we've been here ever since. My husband is a Southern California boy, and he likes to re- remind me a lot that it's not the same. But he is a transplant now, so we're up here, and we love the Pacific Northwest. There's no place really like it. So what was the biggest culture shock? Was it this Puyallup, Washington girl going down to California, Los Angeles area, or was it your SoCal husband coming up to Washington? Oh, good question. Well, I think for him, it's mostly just about the weather. I don't think it's been cultural so much. Uh, But for me, it was a big difference. I feel like in Southern California, um, 
people are always trying to, you know, like kind of manipulate everyone's um, impression of them. So they, they put on a lot of faces and personalities. Whereas I think up here, people are just honest. They don't care. They, they say what's true and they're not trying to impress people as much. That was the biggest cultural difference for me. I enjoy the transparency. I just can't keep up with uh, appearances. So good for you. Yeah. <laughs> so you mentioned coming back to the Pacific Northwest after you became a mom. So how many kids do you have and what are the ages? So we have two kids. Uh, we have a daughter. She's 18 now. She's a senior in high school. And we have a son. He's a freshman, 14 years old. Both teenagers, one starting high school, one wrapping it up, um, which both present their own challenges. Well, that's for sure. So are you seeing that raising kids today is vastly different from when your parents were raising you? Oh, I mean, where do you even start with that? All you have to do is just bring up social media, something we never had, that access to the whole of the world all day, every day, right? I mean, it's so different than when we were growing up. We had to just sit in our rooms and wonder about what everyone was thinking and doing. And and now our kids have to wonder why they're not doing what everyone else is doing, right? I sure don't envy my kids. And I thank God that social media wasn't around to permanently record all of my idiotic moves. That would be horrifying <laughs> today. So kind of flew under the radar in the mid to late 80s. So I'm so grateful for that. So how do you advise them when it comes to turning off the social media? Oh, that's a really tough tightrope to walk as a parent. You know, with our daughter, it was our first go at it, right? We we didn't have any experience. And so we let her get one account. I think it was Instagram was the first thing that she had. But the rule was it had to be heavily supervised. So if she wanted to add a friend or follow somebody, she had to ask us first. And then if she wanted to um, post something, we had to discuss it before she posted it. And it became so laborious for her that she just gave up and stopped putting things on social media. So we haven't really had any trouble with it. Oh, I love it. So in your opinion, yeah. is there an ideal age or does that vary kid to kid? hundred percent. And I always tell parents because... Well, we've had a, a really good experience with our daughter. We haven't had any trouble. We haven't had to deal with a lot of the like bullying or girl stuff or um, maybe the peer pressure that some kids go through because she's just a real stubborn kid. But our son is really different. And so I always tell parents, like, it's a kid by kid. Don't listen to what one parent succeeded with and expect it's going to be exactly the same for yours. And we've also told our kids that too, you know, that to not, to not compare themselves to each other, because what we do for our daughter may not be exactly the same as what we do for our son, because they need things that are different. So what's your daughter's plans now that she's graduating? And is she going to follow in your footsteps and go to UW? Uh, I, I don't think that's her dream at all. <laughs> oh, she's spent so much time on the road with mom, um, just because of my career, she's been all over the country and she's just so comfortable moving around that I think she's going to probably go someplace far away just for the experience. Um, she's, 
she's looking at schools in the South California, Arizona, and um, she's being recruited for some dance program. So we'll see where she ends up. It's a waiting game right now to look at all the offers and and make a decision. But our prayer is just that God's going to make that really evident to her and not us, but her, that she'll be the one who knows where the right place is and that that decision will be God's will for her. Well, I pray that it works out well for her and that God grants her not only clarity, but surrounds her with good godly influences and lifelong friendships. And I I love the fact, Amy Barnes, that throughout your comedy career, you've taken your kids traveling with you. So do you have any good traveling stories? Oh, probably lots. I I mean, we have gotten in so much trouble on the road with those kids, like being, you know, stuck between flights without something that they needed. We one time missed a flight in... Houston, I think something like that. We were trying to get to Kentucky. Uh, I think we were in going to be in Lexington, Kentucky. Yeah. You know, our daughter was so tired because she'd had a really exhausting travel day. I think it was, you know, we missed a flight and had to, you know, adjust some things. And so from stage, I, I was like, listen, I, I promised my daughter, if she just hung in for the rest of this trip. She could ride a horse. So who here has a horse? And everyone in the audience raised their hand. Literally everybody's, every hand went up. And it was, uh, it was so sweet. There was this couple that came up to me after the show and, and said, we have a miniature horse farm. And if you'd like tomorrow, we, we would love to host you at our farm. And we took her there the next day. And that sweet woman just put her on the back of a horse and drug her around that farm for hours and made good on the promise I had made as a mom that was, you know, grounded in nothing at all except for just hope. What a neat thing to have all those people <laughs> raise their hands with horses. I mean, did they come to the show on horseback? No, but you know, you're in Lexington, Kentucky, right? I mean, it's horse country. I guess so. How about your son? Has, has he enjoyed traveling with mom and dad over the years for all these comedy shows? He doesn't like it. As much as his sister does. He's kind of a homebody. I I compel him to travel from time to time just so we can have time together because it's such a special benefit of this job to get to just get on a plane and go away with mom. But he would prefer to be home. His favorite thing, he likes to fly because he gets unlimited movies and soda. <laughs> That's the teenage boy's dream in many cases. It really is, isn't it? Yeah. How funny. Well, something I've found absolutely fascinating about you, Amy, is your history. Can you tell us about stand-up, how you began? And was that expected when it comes to your education and initial career choice? No, I call myself an accidental comedian. I went to the University of Washington. I have an engineering degree. Right out of college, I started working in aerospace and intended that that would be my career, you know, well into the future. I had a friend that my last year of college and he really wanted to do comedy. And there was a class at the extension college and he asked me to take it with him. And so I did. And at the end of the class, he had to go do a set at the local comedy club, which appears the comedy underground in Seattle 
and we did it. And um, I was actually the headliner for our little comedy class, which meant I did maybe six or seven minutes instead of three, right? And the comedy club owner came up to me after the set and said, hey, I think you have kind of a knack for this. You should keep going. And he, you know, put his money where his mouth was and told me that he was going to give me opportunities and put me on stage. And he did. And so I was working as an engineer and doing comedy at night. And eventually, you know, comedy just sort of overtook the other. And um, I had to make a choice. And I did. And I, I got a couple of opportunities, including the New Faces showcase at Montreal Comedy Festival, and felt like that was that was the right moment to take the leap. And I moved to LA and I haven't looked back. And my parents were a little bit uh, nervous. I think when I left engineering, especially because they had paid for that degree. (laughs) So uh, I I don't think even to this day, I know the full extent of um, how that made them feel, but um, it, I certainly see, you know, you know, as we have, the years that we have traveled, we can look back and um, see the hand of God in your journey from the beginning and uh, the way he took it at a certain point and started just sort of reorienting me toward him uh, to begin to use the things he had given me the opportunity to learn to do and grow in and help me start to put together the pieces of how I use that to glorify him. Well, that's fantastic. That must have been one of the scariest changes you've made in your life. I mean, first of all, congratulations on making a good engineering school like University of Washington, much less graduate. I flunked out of engineering, didn't quite make the cut. But am I correct in presuming that you probably made pretty decent money as an aerospace engineer? Yeah, well, it certainly was a good entry-level career for sure, right? There's not a lot of other degrees you can leave college with and start, you know, at that level for sure. So yeah, I mean, it financially definitely was a risk, but you know, one of the, I mean, I really credit my parents with this, that they got me through college without any debt. Wow. And you know, that that's hard for people to say now. So I had some freedom to make a decision like that, right? Because I didn't have a lot of, you know, debts I was sort of shackled to after college and I could take a risk like that. And to, you know, my parents will tell you like the one thing that they were most grateful about was I never moved home. I never called home for money. I was always able to support myself. And, um, you know, it just, it paid off. So not every risk does, but that one did. Well, I'm so glad that it worked out so well for you, Amy Barnes, and that you're returning to our area for Ladies Night Out Friday, February 2nd at Sunnyside Foursquare Church. All the details are at thefishportland.com, kpdq.com, and truetalk800.com. And I also want you to follow Amy Barnes Comedy on Facebook and Instagram. And do check out her website, amyisfunny.com. That's amyisfunny.com. More with Amy Barnes next on Difference Makers.
Welcome back to Difference Makers. Mike Lee here with an old friend. It's comedian Amy Barnes. And what we want to do is invite you to get that last-minute Christmas present for that special person to Ladies' Night Out. It's coming Friday, February 2nd to Sunnyside Foursquare Church. And Amy, we're so glad that you're coming back to the area. This time it'll be solo. In the past, we've seen you around the Pacific Northwest and West Coast, now pretty, pretty much around the country, as half of Barnes & Miner. So what are the differences between performing solo versus performing with your husband? Well, I think um, any married person could answer that just by thinking of their own marriage, right? I mean, it is a lot harder to share a stage than it is to have it all to yourself, you know? <laughs> I am a lot more conscientious of him, I think, uh, when he's on stage with me. Do you enjoy traveling together also, Amy? We do. Uh, we really like traveling together. We're very good at it because we've done it for a very long time. But we don't really so much anymore. It That was something we did a lot when the kids were little because we could bring them with us. Mm-hmm. And we were doing so many like date night events at churches. And there was always child care. And so we would just bring our kids and throw them on the pile. And it was it was easy. Now the kids are older and it's just better for one of us to be home to make sure that, you know, everything is normal and their life goes on the way it's supposed to. So we don't do as much anymore. But I actually have I mean, I did a girls night out with the fish right before COVID. So I have been there by myself. So some people there maybe have seen us both together and solo. So had the pandemic greatly affected your livelihood being able to perform shows and things like that did you have to reinvent yourself and do more online or recorded performances oh it was terrible mike it was so horrible we (laughs) the you know people wanted to do that you know wanted us to or me i was primarily doing solo shows and performing on my own and they want everybody thought they had an answer like we could just record a comedy show online and play it live. And it just is not the same as being in person and being together. And so for the most part, I took a break through COVID and I um, just waited it out until the venues opened back up again. And I, I mean, the very first show back after COVID, I'm at this event and it was a women's, it was a, like a, a girls night out comedy show and the place was packed. It was sold out. There were people like shoulder to shoulder standing in the back and they were all just leaning forward because they were so excited to be together. I could have said anything. I mean, anything could have come out of my mouth and they would have laughed so hard. So um, it was, I think the greatest thing I got out of COVID was just a reminder of how important it is to be together and how much that matters, especially when you're talking about comedy and community and there's just things that happen at a live comedy show that don't happen uh you know when you're watching something on netflix or you're consuming it on the internet so um i i hope that doesn't happen again but if it does i will find another job i will um i I will figure something else out to do besides trying to create comedy in that kind of environment Oddly enough, you really sound like a lot of the pastors I've spoken with since pandemic had begun because it was mm. tough for them to preach to an empty room. It really messed with them emotionally yeah. as well as financially. How many people, how many churches took a hit because of that? So I'm so glad that the yeah. crowds have embraced you and come back to see you at shows like the one we're hosting on Friday, February 2nd. Very excited about that. So even though you're now more Amy Barnes performing then half of Barnes and Minor with Jerry Minor, your husband. 
What did you two meet in the first place? We met at a comedy club. The um, He was working in Seattle at the Comedy Underground, which is my home club at the time. And the manager of that club introduced us. And there had been a lot of comedians who had come through town that would, you know, ask me out. There weren't very many girls, I'll be honest, in comedy at the time. So, you know, it was not necessarily that I was that desirable. It was just sometimes I'm the only option, right? So um, he did, like, and it, my standard line that I would use, I would say, yeah, absolutely, come to church with me tomorrow morning. And um, if they, you know, they, they just always say no, and that was the last I would hear of it. Um, but Jerry Miner said yes. And then I had to, uh, I had, I had to make good on that. And so here we are. <laughs> it's like, uh-oh, now i got to find a church to go to tomorrow. He actually said yes. <laughs> what he a great litmus yes. I did have a church. I was <laughs> That's great. So has your daughter picked up this habit for her young self, or does she kind of go her own way? Well, she's funny. I mean, she's incredibly witty. Both of the kids are, but I, I don't know that either one of them has a future in comedy or wants one for sure. But they, you know, they have aspects of it both of them that they have kind of taken on in their own way and i would say you know my daughter's a dancer and when you watch her dance she's just so expressive she's funny on stage she's got good faces and i think oh she got that kind of like she knows how to work a crowd she's just doing it in a different way and our son is just you know he's just the sweetest kid and he is 14 and at this point in his life he feels called to pastor at some point He's a real connector and he loves people. And I see like that aspect of it too, of just like being able to welcome a crowd and look at them and get to know them. You know, he really has that understanding of people. So there's aspects of comedy, you know, that I would say you go into doing this job that both of them have some element of it, but they're applying it in a different way. That's fascinating. You've got a 14 year old son who feels called to become a pastor. Is that amazing? I had such a different upbringing. I had no clue what I wanted to be, or I had completely unrealistic dreams that were never going to happen. So good for him. You must have raised him right. Oh, you know, Mike, you and I both know that has nothing to do with us. That is God and his hand on a life. He's just a very special kid who, um, he's just been very sensitive to spiritual things from the very beginning. So at the time when Jerry asked you out and you followed up with your standard line, come to church with me tomorrow, and he actually said yes, was he walking strongly with the Lord? No. So this was just to get the date. He tells that story a lot better than I do. So how did that work out for you? You know, it was a long process. I mean, it's a very long process from the point we met to the point um, we were married. There was a lot of... It was a journey. Let's just say that. But he would tell you that the way he tells the story is that at some point after we met, I kind of gave him an ultimatum that we could not be together unless he had a relationship with God. And it caused him to rethink his life. He, He had made a decision for Christ as a high schooler because of Fellowship of Christian Athletes, their ministry in his high school. Um, and was part of Calvary Chapel in Southern California. And it, um, it was just a, it was a point of renewal for him, I think. And he became, um, I'm trying to think of the best way to tell his story. I don't do that very well, but we, uh, <laughs> he began to pursue spiritual things in a way, um, that was meaningful and committed. And God really did a work in his heart to make him the man that he is today. And we have such a beautiful, 
relationship and partnership and marriage that is 100% um, attributable to God and the work of his Holy Spirit to transform lives. We're so grateful for it, for what we have here in this home. Now, that's fantastic, Amy Barnes. So how long were you going together after your first church date before he proposed? Oh, wow. It was a long time. Like, oh, man, maybe two and a half years, two years. A lot of us don't think that's a long time, but go on. <laughs> maybe not now. Okay, maybe not now, but I, it seemed like it was to everybody else. Because I think man, when we met like in 99 and we were married in 2002. Yeah. So yeah, it was a couple of years. Oh, that's great. So at the time when you got married, were both of you full-time comedians or were there any other side careers going on? You mentioned earlier on that you'd walked away from being an aerospace engineer to fully dive into comedy. Yeah. When I went to LA, I did do other work besides comedy full-time. And I was actually working, um, I was running a production company for an actor who hired me to manage his production company. It was kind of a vanity production company. We didn't do a whole lot of projects, but I had an office and uh, people took my calls and we were on the Universal lot for a time. And then we were over at the CBS Radford lot where they were um, filming like Will and Grace and that 70s show around the corner from us. So it was a lot of fun to move to LA and that be my first experience. And primarily I just... I read scripts and took meetings and it was a paycheck. So when I was in town, um, I had kind of a a more permanent outlet and I did that for quite some time, but mostly just, you know, I mean, I had, I don't know how familiar you are with the way things work in Hollywood, Mike, but it was, everybody's getting paid, but not really doing anything. And that's kind of what I feel like if I'm being honest, what my story was at that company, because there were four of us, like three of us at the company total, It wasn't like a big, you know, production studio, but, you know, somebody was writing us checks. And so, but it was, um, it was helpful to me. And then Jerry also, you know, he had a lot of writing jobs. He wrote, um, he, he's got some really crazy credits. Like he and Johnny Rotten from the Sex Pistols wrote the first reality TV show, which was called, um, Rotten Television for VH1. And he wrote for some sitcoms on CBS. And so there was additional work. We weren't always in a comedy club performing ever. So you've both had a degree of success, Amy Barnes and Jerry Minor, in front of crowds, but do you prefer at times being behind the scene and creative and writing? No, I don't. And not because I need to be in front of people, but because I had some experience writing material for other people, writing jokes. So they sound funny when they're on the talk show. And I did some of that. And I just was always so disappointed that people didn't ever get the most out of the joke or deliver it the way that I would have delivered it or pick the one that I thought was funniest. And really, that was kind of a turning point for me, like right before we moved back to Washington, where I said, I I have to be the one to tell the jokes that I write because they're just not working when other people are telling them. And so um, so I don't. I don't pre- prefer to be on the other side anymore. I really like, I feel like I've sort of found my place in the way I do comedy. I've found my audience. I've found my purpose. And it doesn't have to be, you know, the same as everyone else's or the same kind of venue um, as everyone else's. I had an opportunity Um, I did something with America's Got Talent. Um, It's a long story, but uh, I was talking with um, one of the producers and Simon Cowell about this thing. And um, they kind of made a joke about doing comedy in churches. And I said, oh, like, 
I, I just don't think you have been there recently to see what's going on. And maybe it's an opportunity for you to go to see, like it's potentially the best venue I've ever performed in are some of, you know, the churches around the country, the, and not just because of the physical structure and because the tech is so good and, you know, it's high production value in churches now, but because the people uh, that come to these shows, they, they just like, they're not as easily offended. They don't have triggers like people do in comedy clubs. Now they just um, have a different kind of joy that makes it easy to entertain them and to connect them to each other. And, um, and so I feel like that part of it, you know, if I, if I had to choose between maybe, um, writing, producing, or being at a comedy club, I might be on the fence about that, but because I get to entertain in the spaces that I do, I would, I would always choose that, um, over, over, you know, being behind my computer writing jokes. That's refreshingly surprising Amy Barnes, because there are stereotypes out there. They're old church people are stuffy, but you've seen the complete opposite, that the church crowds coming to your comedy events have been less automatically offended than some of those in the crowds at the comedy clubs. I would not have known that. Interesting. Well, absolutely. But, you know, I mean, it's consistent with what God says is true about those who follow Christ, right? It produces humility in us. And that is the same as the ability to look at yourself and laugh, right? I mean, when you go to places where people don't have that sense, then you tell them anything that might be in any way critical of them or point out something, you know, even just an oddity or about their life that they take that very personally. And so if you're someone who says, yeah, you know, he is God and I am not, it makes it a lot easier to laugh at yourself. And, you know, people don't, and people are more gracious, you know, they, they don't um, always assume what you're saying is, um, is pointed at them or, you know, I, they just, I don't know. It's for me as a comedian in this place where the world is, that's, it's an easier place to be. This is some great life advice from comedian Amy Barnes, who's coming to town on February 2nd. It'll be a great Christmas present because it's experiential for this ladies' night out at Sunnyside Foursquare Church. All the details are up at Amy's website, amyisfunny.com, as well as our stations, kpdq.com, truetalk800.com, and thefishportland.com. More insights from Amy Barnes next on Difference Makers. You're listening to Difference Makers. My name is Mike Lee, and I am absolutely thrilled to let you know that if you need that perfect last-minute Christmas present to put under the tree, how about tickets to see Amy Barnes? She returns to the area with amazing comedy. Sunnyside Foursquare Church, Friday, February 2nd. All the details are at the various websites, including Amy's own, amyisfunny.com, as well as our stations, thefishportland.com, kpdq.com, and truetalk800.com. And I'll make sure all of these are linked up on the Difference Makers page at truetalk800.com. Amy, thanks so much for sharing your story and about your travels. And you'd mentioned that you'd had some conversations with Simon Cowell about America's Got Talent. So I think about that. I think about your travels over the years both as Amy Barnes and half as Barnes and & Minor, and also your years working on the lot at Universal and CBS. So do you have any good celebrity encounter stories to share with us? Oh, wow. Yes. I, when I play 
two truths and a lie with the high school kids. I always have a lot of good stories to tell them. So I, one of the best that, you know, seems to be impressed them right now is that I actually met Kanye West at a funeral because we both had the same accountant and we, uh, that was the first time I ever met him. Neither one of us had ever met our accountant. We had only ever spoken to her on the phone and she died really tragically. And we both, uh, ended up at her funeral and he actually like, um, probably true to how we know Kanye West to be right now. Uh, when the pastor said, does anyone have anything, what, anything they'd like to say? He got up and went to the microphone and uh, started telling lots of stories about financial um, advice she had given him <laughs> over the years. So that, that was one of my uh, oddest run-ins with the celebrity. I mean, obviously you see a lot of them, you know, being on a lot, doing their actual jobs, but that was kind of a strange one. This is the beyond bizarre to ask, but what on earth does Kanye West wear to an accountant's funeral? Oh, no one's ever asked me that. Let me think. I mean, I think he was wearing black. He brought a bunch of people with him. Like he had a little posse, like five or six people that came with him. And it, it stood out because there were maybe 60 or 70 people at this funeral. It wasn't like, you know, a massive group of people. I think he was just wearing, I, I don't think he was wearing a suit. Dressed in black and giving honor to his late accountant. Well, that's kind of touching. Huh? Yeah. Go figure. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Did you like Simon Cowell? You know, I can't really say that I know him. He seemed pleasant. Um, there was a time, you know, they had pursued us for America's Got Talent for a long time. They're just like looking for people all the time to be on there. And so we went and did like an initial process, had a conversation with uh, They, you know, went, we went through the process of doing a set in front of a crowd and they, all the judges said, okay. And, you know, and then we had a longer conversation with them about it and decided not to go forward. It just wasn't the right venue for us, but he seems like he knows what he's doing, but I don't have any a personal relationship with him. But even though you turn down the opportunity, does it kind of put a smile on your face to know that somebody must like my performance and think that my comedy is of some value to make this call to me? Oh, yeah. I mean, I I feel like I have had a really good balance in my professional career of encouragement from people who say, you know, this is special and it's great. Keep going. And people who say, you're not there. That's not what we want. It kind of keeps me working hard and humble, but also prevents me from quitting. <laughs> You've got to have a bit of a thick skin to be in comedy. I mean, do you ever have some nights where you feel like content wise, you hit it out of the park, but you just didn't connect with the crowd? Oh yeah. Still to this day. I mean, I, I and I'm, I feel like I'm, I know what I'm doing because I've been doing it so long, but there is something like, even though you, you can have a great show and the audience says that was fun and they laugh when they're supposed to. And you, you still just don't feel like we all get each other now. Um, there's, and I, I think that's something you can't even put your finger on. It's something that happens or it doesn't, but I would say at this point, the people who come to see me tend to be people who are coming with that intention. Like they're coming with a desire to connect in an audience setting in a live venue with me, with the material, you know, so it, it's not like people who just wandered in off the street. And so 
those are rare. And I, I'll be honest, they tend to be like events when I, they bring me in to do a big fundraiser or something and people are around tables and they've just eaten dinner. I don't know. That, that seems to be like the time where you go, ah, oh, did this work? Did this not work? I don't know. So, Amy Barnes, we're very excited about your comedy show coming to Sunnyside Foursquare on Friday, February 2nd. Tickets are still available, and it's a great church. We've had various events and concerts there over the years, and it's about a stone's throw from one of my favorite places ever called Happy Valley Station, which is a big lot filled with food trucks from all different styles and ethnicities. So if you're bored or in between setting up, maybe you'll head over there for lunch or something. But I want to backtrack to your personal history, Amy. You mentioned growing up in Puyallup, which any of us who have gone to the now Washington State Fair have seen. It's a lovely area, not too far off of I-5. So when did your faith become your own? Was your family a strong church-going family? Yeah. So my parents, um, well, not exactly the same story, but my dad came to know Jesus in college through Campus Crusade for Christ. Um, my mom was a child and a neighbor invited her to church someplace, but both of them are the only uh, believers in their families. And so that kind of created an interesting faith culture in our home in that I had two parents who were really um, earnest uh, about their faith and about giving it to us, but maybe did it in a different way that families who have generations and legacies of Christian faith would uh, bring that about. So uh, they were navigating that um, with excitement and in kind of a refreshing way. And um, I, I'm really grateful for the spiritual privilege of having grown up in a home where my parents had such a high priority, um, on making that a part of our life and helping us to come to know those truths. I, after high school, I went with youth of the mission to do a discipleship training school in Jamaica, which was really formational for me because it was the first time I had ever had the opportunity to live out or explore my faith on my own without any kind of direction from parents or anything. I, and then I came back, went right to college and, um, the searching years for me, right. I, I, um, I struggled with some things and trying to figure out what it meant to be an adult and pursue faith without, um, the structure of we go to church every Sunday, you know, like having to really set those, disciplines and make those decisions for myself. And, you know, went through a couple of rocky patches where I would say, you know, I I made some really poor choices um, in my early adulthood. But I mean, no question, as I look back over my life, God was there from the beginning to now. Um, His hand was on my journey and he never let me take the car off a cliff. And you know, brought me back to a place where I wanted to be in community uh, with other believers, where I found a good Bible-believing church, um, got connected to other Christians for just the community and for the accountability. And um, from that point on, I feel like it's been a pretty steady trajectory up, you know, toward God in every aspect of my life to the point that now I, I'm actually in seminary pursuing my master of divinity 
and I'm not sure why or where that is leading, but um, I just sensed very clearly about a year ago that that was God's will for my journey now. So I don't know a lot of comedians who've been to seminary. I feel like I'm maybe treading some new ground, but I'm really excited to see what God has for me. Oh, that's fantastic, Amy Barnes. So how did God lead you to go to seminary at this stage of the game, already established as a wife and a mother comedian, having your career set in place? What prompted your heart? Was that surprising? Where are you going? And who are you enjoying as mentoring figures? Yeah, you know, it was one of those things where it wasn't just one specific decision in a specific moment. It was a lot of little things that kind of prodded me in that direction. So um, I've been a part of Bible Study Fellowship for many years, moved into a leadership role um, and started teaching with Bible Study Fellowship and have really just enjoyed that and wanted to kind of pursue the studies a little bit deeper. Uh, and then I had a dear mentor who uh, was, you know, brilliant woman, theologian, um, you know, student. And uh, she passed away suddenly just, well, in February, so not that long ago. And, um, you know, her husband made the suggestion to me that maybe that was something in the future for me and kind of stuck with me. And then my husband was really encouraging it. Just, you know, it was his sort of feeling that it should happen. And then I was introduced through a friend of the family, through a, a program um, that was workable because with my job and all my other responsibilities, I couldn't really enroll a quarter at a time with a really strict schedule. And I didn't think I'd be able to make that work logistically. And then this option, we would just sort of laid out in front of me and I thought, Oh, I, I feel like this is, you know, the nudge. And so I'm there now. That's fantastic. And is any of that in person? Is it all online? Is it a hybrid of that or what? It's all online. I just wouldn't be able to do it any other way. Uh, but it's it's wonderful. It's just one class after the other. I just kind of grind them out. Um, after we're done here, I'll probably be online with my cohort having a discussion about whatever uh, whatever's happening in the class that I'm in right now. Well, good for you, Amy Barnes. You enjoy going after that Masters in Divinity and enjoy the ride throughout the various plates that you're juggling in life, including coming to Sunnyside Foursquare on Friday, February 2nd. You'd mentioned earlier about encouragement. So have you found that the crowds recently are more in need of encouragement, especially following a pandemic where so many people are shut in for so long? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I don't think anyone would argue with that. I think um, that we've come to value uh, being together just because we experienced what it was like the other way, you know, when we didn't have a choice, but to be alone. And even, you know, secular society is really acknowledging this epidemic of loneliness, how isolated people are feeling right now. We need to be together. But when it comes to comedy, the added benefit of that, maybe people don't even realize is happening when you are in a group of people and you're all laughing at the same things. And you're, you know, someone is pointing out, um, the, the things that are, you know, going on in the world and you've all experienced them and you've all kind of seen the same things. It just builds community like nothing else I've ever experienced 
to be able to recognize how much you have in common, how many things you um, experience universally, and then it grows your confidence and your trust in that community that you're in. And with the hope that you come back, you know, and continue to connect in that community in a meaningful way and bring those harder, bigger things, recognizing that you have those things in common as well. I'm so glad to hear that, Amy, and that you're coming back to town. In this case, would you like to give an invitation out and encourage someone who might be on the fence or trying to figure out, should I go or shouldn't I? Or should I bless that person with tickets for Christmas or shouldn't I? Because you are coming to town for Ladies' Night Out, Sunnyside Foursquare, Friday, February 2nd. So would you like to give that last-second invitation, Amy? Absolutely. Well, I hope that you'll come. I promise you it's going to be fun. That That's my part of the evening is to make it something that's worth coming to. But um, it doesn't happen unless you come. And I would say that as far as Christmas presents go... This is the easiest way to do it. You've not only given them something that they can do, not something they have to store someplace or that will gather dust in their home, but something that a memory they can create. But I would say even beyond that, what is really special about something like this in a gift is you have invited someone and that is so meaningful to people right now to be able to Say you gave me something to do, but you said you would do it with me. And that really, really matters to people. Just the time that comes with it beyond just something that you open and then it's over and there's no more commitment from you. This is really, um, I hate to overinflate it, but it's an act of love. I mean, it is a way that we can show love to people by saying, I'm going to give you something and I want to do it with you. Experience the laughter with Amy Barnes, Ladies' Night Out, Friday, February 2nd at Sunnyside Foursquare Church. All the details are on our website, including amyisfunny.com. And make sure to follow Amy Barnes Comedy on Facebook and on Instagram. So thank you so much for spending time with us throughout your busy schedule, Amy Barnes. And on our way out, is there anyone you want to say hi to or send a shout out to? Well, hello, Portland. I'm excited I'm going to be down in that area because... I get to drive there, not fly. So thank you, thank you, thank you for having me back. We are so looking forward to Ladies Night Out with Amy Barnes. And thank you for listening to Difference Makers. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.